Yo, this is Pastor Tito here welcoming you to another episode of my revolutionary podcast where I'm here to help you find faith in Christ and how to follow through with your life. And in order to follow through, we need to better understand the truth of God. And that's why we're focusing on this series called Truth Over Trends, as we are focusing the truth of God, comparing it to the trends of this world or the opposite of what the world has to say. And in the message that we're going to focus on today, it is titled The Identity Crisis that pride produces. And this goes right into a big cultural issue that we are seeing right now in the way of self-identification and just the definition of what is truth. So let's just dive in and see what God has to say. That is what matters. That the truth of who God is is not just on the tip of our tongues, but is an anchor in our hearts. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been, for those of you, if you've, this is your first time logging on or first time visiting us, either first time in a long time or first time ever, again, welcome. And we want to make sure you're just catching up with us. We've been looking over the last month or so, a series of just this theme and topic called Truth Over Trends, because that is what we're, our heart is to pursue the truth of who God is and to make sure and to differentiate between the trends of this world that just distract us from knowing this God, knowing this truth, and walking closer and more intimately with him. And the reason, and we've been actually saying that truth is not just information, truth is a person. And it answers, this truth answers the questions that you and I all have. Now, I know online we got some, you know, new people watching, and, and I know some of y'all, I know some of you, maybe you know me more than I know you, all right? And I know some of y'all, but look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you are, if you just showed up, if you were, or you are a veteran, all right? Here in this place, I, we all have one thing in common. We all are asking the same questions, we just don't even realize it. In fact, we all ask these questions without knowing we are asking these questions. You and I are all on search, in a search for truth. I mean, that is why you are here today. Let's just be real. Many of you are, are here today because you are seeking out, capital T, truth. That is why we do what we do to even better understand that truth that we have come to know. But we all are searching for that. And only the truth of God can answer these questions, not the trends of this world. And these are the three questions that we all ask. So we all have something in common out the gate. We all ask the questions, who am I? Where do I fit in? And what kind of a difference can I make? Those are all questions we're asking, right? Think about it. Think about it. You don't even know. When I was a kid, looking back, I'm like, man, those were, those were questions I was asking, and I did not know that I was asking those questions. I was in search of who, I mean, since the very beginning, we are looking for those answers. Who am I? Our sense of identity. Because that identity is so important because it is our identity that helps to clarify our sense of community. If I identify with this, that identity comes with a sense of community, and that community also reinforces our purpose. What kind of difference can I make? And because we are all asking these same questions, because these are they're hardwired in us, the enemy, in order to distract us from the truth, provides as many options as possible. And, not, and honestly, these options sometimes feel good and they feel like it's right. It sounds like it could be right. And some of us want it to be right. But there's only one answer to all of those questions of who am I, where do I belong, and what kind of difference can I make? But since we don't know those or we struggle with those, this is why so many of us have an identity crisis. 
All right, that just doesn't happen when you hit like, you know, your 40s and up, you know, someone with that midlife crisis that some people have, right? Whatever that does. No, this is, we all have this identity crisis trying to seek out who we are. And even those, when I was looking just that word, that identity crisis means we are uncertain, confused, or insecure about ourselves. And so we seek out answers in order to satisfy that tension that resides in us. And so obviously the world has options, man. We have so many options of people who self-identify with so many different kinds of spiritual identities. I mean, so many different religions out there that it, some people wonder, it's like, how can you know which one is true? There's so many options in there. I know it is by design. The enemy overwhelms the system to make you so overwhelmed. They're like, oh, there's no way you can figure this out because it's too much. Some look towards spiritual identity some of us self-identify and focus a lot on our racial identities, which is a beautiful thing. There is something inside of us. There's every culture that God has created and allowed to be you know, developed over the years. Every culture has something beautiful that is actually a reflection of God. But there's a lot of us that tend to worship the color of our skin more than our creator who gave us that color. And that's that part when we turn that into an idol, something that is a wonderful thing to make us look to God, we turn it into an idol and we, and we put that as priority overall at racial identity. Some of us is economic, economic identity. This is where we get our sense of worth and purpose by how much money we make, the job that I have, the titles at the school that I went to, all of these things, right? We just like to flex on that because it gives us a sense of identity, community, and purpose. Some of us focus on that. Others, political identities. That one is a powerful one, right? We identify with a political party that gives us a sense of community and purpose to defeat the other guys, right? I mean, that is why people are so passionate about their political identities because it gives them a sense of purpose. And that's why they'll fight you to the death on something, man. I don't care what, I mean, that's because it is ingrained in them. It's who they are. So when they're fighting for their position, they're not trying to fight necessarily to be right. Because in order to say I'm wrong, it's, a, you know, it's deep. You see that? That's why it's so, that political stuff is so deep because it's a denial of who I am. So they fight. You got your, obviously you got your gender identities that are, you know, you got your binaries, non-binaries, male, female, everything in between. Right? Why is that such a big deal? Because that right there, again, it gives us a sense of, it, it tries to attempt to answer a conflict that's inside. I am missing something. Something is not right in the way that I have been born in this world. So the solution is, maybe I'm the wrong gender. There's a truth in there. Yes, there is something wrong in the way you were born, but it has nothing to do with your gender. But we think that sexual identity is the same thing. Right, the different sexual desires I identify as this gay, trans, you know, not, uh, you know, gay, lesbian, and so many other things. Why? Because again, it's that sense of identity. So many people, like they, they go into it. Right, this is Pride Month. Right, that's a big focus in our country and around the world that is celebrated. Why? Because they are proud of that identity. Because it gives them a sense of community and purpose. I mean, it's so ingrained and rooted inside. It's deep. Why? Because it answers the most fundamental questions of our souls. We are all searching for, we're all searching for the right answers. But a lot of us, we're looking in the wrong places. And the reason why we're looking in the wrong places, it's because of our pride. 
our pride makes it harder to be able to understand the truth. It is our pride that makes it hard to be able to truly understand and find those answers. It is our pride, which is the reason for our problems. And so in order to look at that and what does God have to say about that, we're going to look at a story. Well, I'm going to give you the synopsis, a summary, and we're going to look at one verse, okay? And we're going to look at how the problems that pride can produce, and we're going to look at a story called Sodom and Gomorrah to be able to better understand that. So some of you guys might have known this, this story. If you've grown up in church, I know you know the story. Some of you may know it for other reasons, because there is something, when you hear Sodom and Gomorrah, you tend to associate that story with one thing, homosexuality, right? And I'm gonna, let me just give you a, uh, and that's, I want you to know that it actually has more to do than that. It's actually bigger and deeper, and we're all, in, we're all involved, can I be real? So here's, let me just give you the synopsis and story, because there's a lot in here. So this story of Sodom and Gomorrah comes out in the book of Genesis, so in the very beginning, the book of Genesis actually outlines the theme of the entire book of the Bible. And the Bible was written over with, I mean, dozens of authors over a span of 1,400 years, multiple continents. God has been consistently speaking. And with that, the themes, all the themes that we see in the whole Bible all start in Genesis. Genesis is the introduction. Okay, it's, it's the whole, it sets everything up. And so in there, we see a story of Sodom and Gomorrah where the city was so corrupted, the people were so corrupted and just perverse and so many things that the sins of this city came up and got heard of it. And like, I have to deal with this. It is that bad. And for the first time, so we, what happens, let me say for the first time, let me pause that. So what happens is, is that God sends two angels down. He talks to Abraham, which is a great figure that we can't really go into detail later. He's a father of not only the Jewish nation, but also the father of our faith. A great example, great dude. And so God is talking to Abraham, saying, Abraham, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to send. I'm actually going to deal with that city. I have to judge that city. And he tells Abraham, because Abraham has a nephew, Lot, who's residing and he's living in that city. Lot was a good guy. Lot, actually, the Bible says he's a righteous guy. Somebody who believed in the Lord was a humble guy. He, he had a family, two daughters, and a wife. And he, he tells Abraham, and Abraham kind of like goes to bat for his, you know, for his boy and tries to say, Lord, are you going to destroy that city even if there's a few righteous there? So God sends two angels down to go talk to Lot and say, Lot, my guy, I need you to know, God's going to judge this city. You know it's coming. God's, God's going to judge this city. You and your family need to pack up and you need to go. Because if you don't, and if you stay here, you're going to go down with the ship. So you need to go. And so Lot and his two daughters and his wife, they run off to a nearby city called Zoar. And they start running off there. It's about a day's journey on foot. So it was for them, it was pretty close. And so they're going, and Scripture says God brings fire and brimstone on this city. Wipes it off the face of the earth. And every inhabitant, every person in that city, gone. Now, I know some of you guys are already asking. See, that's right there. Ah, how can you, how can I believe in such a God that would do that? Let me tell you, God did that out of love. See, here's the thing. What's very unique about this story. This is the first time in scriptures that God judges an entire city and everyone inside. And I want you to know, every time you see a word, the first time a word is used in the Bible, the first time a phrase is used, the first time an action is done, 
in the Bible, that's actually important. That gives definitions to every time that word pops up later because it's important. So the first time, so if we see here, God has judged this city. First time God has judged an entire city, then he's trying to tell us something. He's trying to tell us something. By the way, first off, the reason why he did this was because everybody in this city had been so, I mean, the, the things that they were doing to each other and to other people were that heinous, that despicable. Trust me, if you knew and you can see, you would have been, look, uh, can I push the button, Jesus? Let me, let me, let me handle that one, because oh my gosh. It's like, you would not have, all right? You probably would not have disagreed with that, because it, the thing is, if God did not do that, then what they were doing was just going to continue. More people would have gotten hurt. Kind of the same reason why here in the United States, if you remember, you know, world history, America first to drop two nuclear bombs on two cities in Japan, right? Here, you know, it was... Um, Nagasaki, Hiroshima. Why did we do that? Because there was an enemy, even though the war was over, it, I mean, it was an enemy who would not stop. And it was like, listen, if we don't do this to try to get a little, bro, sit down, right? Stop, chill. If we don't do this to show them we mean business, the, they're going to continue to kill more and more and more and more people. It was an unfortunate thing. But it was like one of those unnecessary evils that had to happen in order to stop something worse from happening. So God does this to this nation. Lot and his two daughters, his wife doesn't make it. His wife, they were given one instruction, don't turn back. Don't turn back. And then the scripture says his wife, she turned. She turned, she didn't make it. Him and his two daughters, they lived. <clears throat> so what's the big deal about that story? See, that story, Sodom and Gomorrah, actually is a theme throughout all of the Bible. I don't know if, if you've ever, next time, if you haven't read the whole Bible, I challenge you to do that, all right? I mean, listen, uh, I, I, I mean, the, you know, the Harry Potter book is like this big, and I see people plow through that in like a week or two. Come on now, all right, this is nothing. And so we can do this, we can do this. But here's the thing, you will see, you'll be shocked how often the phrase Sodom and Gomorrah comes out throughout all of the Bible. Throughout the prophets, through history, the, the kings, the history, the New Testament, all that. I mean, it comes up again and again and again and again and again. Why? Because there was something that happened in that moment that God wasn't just going to teach them a lesson, but he was trying to teach all of us something. Because in the same way that sudden destruction came upon an unbelieving city, sudden destruction will come against an unbelieving world in the same way. And unless we heed and hear to the messenger, we will not make it. So it's an amazing story. But at the same time, I, we got to focus on why. Why did God do that? What was the purpose? And so and I've heard preacher after preacher and so many people say, well, the reason why God judged that nation was because of the sin of homosexuality. That's wrong. It's actually bigger than that. Now, I'm not saying it's not a part of it. It's, it's one of. It's on the list, but there's a different one. In fact, we even see exactly the problem. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 16, one verse. If you don't know where Ezekiel is, it's in the middle, all right? Ezekiel, I got, this, I got the verse for you if we're going to put it on the screen if you don't know how to find it. I know some of y'all, maybe you, you pretended to look for Ezekiel to be like, I was like, oh, man, I know where it's at, I know where it's at. You know, I know, it's, it's a weird, right? I, it takes me a minute to find it too. But anyways, it's there. So let's look at Ezekiel. Let's put it on the screen. 40, uh, 16 verse 49, and it says this. Now, this was the iniquity. Iniquity means sin, okay? And iniquity is not just an, you know, oops, okay? No, it's, it's a crime, all right? It, this is a big word for sin here. 
Now this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. Pause. God, you can leave the verse there. God is talking. God is talking to the nation of Israel. Okay? At this point in human history, this was happening hundreds of years after Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed. And hundreds of years before Jesus. Okay? So at this point. The nation of Israel had become a nation, and they had been so corrupted that they actually out the city of sin. They out Sodom and Gomorrah. Whatever Sodom and Gomorrah was, they could not hold a candle to what Israel had become. And God is reminding them, listen, if I judge them for half of what you've done, what do you think I'm going to do to you? And I should do, because God is a righteous and good judge. And so here he says, now this is the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters, you know, again, the people here, what did they have? This was their sin. God judged them because of their pride. They had, they had pride, plenty of food, and comfortable security, but didn't support the poor and needy. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, God did not judge these people because they didn't have a social welfare program. All right. That's not what it was. God didn't set this up because there wasn't an equal distribution of wealth. All right. That's not what this is. It was the pride. Pride was their problem. God judged them because of their pride. And we all know what pride does. Okay. We all hate it when we see pride in uh, other people, don't we? Ooh, can I hold on? And we love to judge people who have pride, don't we? So how can we judge someone? How can we excuse the fact that I can judge you because of your pride, but God can't judge you because of your pride? We got to watch out. You see see where the double standard is right there? We can justify judging someone else because of their pride, but we don't want God to judge us because of our pride. And here's the thing. You guys know what pride does. Pride does not comply. Pride does not comply. To have an argument with a prideful person, just... I'm, I'm going to go home. Okay, I'm not even going to bother, right? Because a prideful person is an arrogant person. I mean, it is someone that they don't care. They do not want to listen to you. They know that they're right, and that's it. They have no concern or care for you. They think they're better than you. They don't talk to you. They talk down to you, right? Like, ugh, like we know we all hate that. We hate it when a prideful person talks to us, talks down to us. We hate it. So does God. We hate it. It is an, that arrogance is just so, it just smells, it just, it it can make the ugliest, it can make the prettiest person super ugly, super quick, right? Pride, so gross. But here's the thing, when we look at that definition in scriptures, pride actually is the exaltation of someone. It is someone who exalts themselves above God. Pride is that. Pride in the face of God is saying, I'm going to talk down to God. I'm going to talk down to him. Right? That's what pride does. It seeks to exalt yourself above God. And by the way, do you know who is the chief of that? Do you know that pride is the original sin? And any sin that you can define right now, if we go ahead and online, you start typing, you guys start shouting out. Do you know that every sin is really rooted in one sin? The sin of, say it with me, pride. Pride is saying, I want to do things my way, the way I want to, how I feel, not you, God. That's pride. Every sin is really rooted in pride. That's the reality of it. And you know, that is the original sin. That is what got the devil in trouble. That's what got the devil in trouble because the devil, God created the devil's name Lucifer, a chief angel. There was none like him. None like him. And his one role in heaven 
was to the angels that wanted to just, man, because God was just so amazing and wonderful that his main job was to help those angels to reflect and to deflect all of the glory to God. And the devil got jealous one day. The devil's like, hold on. God's getting all this glory because there's no one like him. But there's no one like me. I am the best chief, best angel out here. I'm not getting any credit. And so the chief worship leader of heaven desired the worship that went to God. He says, I want people to treat me like that. So the devil tried to dethrone God. He didn't want to say, God, you know, you and me, tag team together, you know? No. He was like, I want to replace God. In fact, I think I'm better. He tries to dethrone God because of his what? Pride. Pride led him to dethrone God. And that's what got him and a third of the angels cast out of heaven. And those angels now, that's who we refer to as demons. That is, that is what pride does. It exalts. And guys, you and I, we act like the devil when we walk in pride and says, no, I want to do things my way, the way I want to. I don't want to deflect that glory. I want glory for myself. This is why the devil hates when we worship God truly with our songs and with our lives. Because true worshipers remind the devil, yo, I took your job. God gave me your job, boy. The devil hates it when he sees true worshipers because we are showing him the job that he used to have and we're doing it better. That's what that is. That's what he hates when we worship him, worship the Lord in that way. But you see here, that is the issue is pride. And notice, notice that the city had plenty of what? They had plenty of food. They had comfortable security. They didn't have issues. Everything was rolling Everything was great for the whole place to be prosperous. They had big fortified walls. They weren't afraid of anyone. They were doing well economically. They're like, we don't need God. We're living, the, we're living our best life now. But look at how this, look what pride does. The, all of their abundance, it wasn't enough. They could not. There was no love in there. Notice that they abused the poor and the needy. Instead of helping the poor, I mean, they had the means to help the poor and the needy. They did it. They abused them more. Why? Because it didn't matter how much they had. They wanted more. They wanted more. They wanted more. It was this, this, this desire that would go unquenched. And that's what pride does. Pride says, this is what you need. And it is never enough. It is never enough. It corrupts us further and further. It does not comply. Pride will lead us not to comply with God. But pride also, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah sees, it does not go unpunished. Pride does not go unpunished. That's what the, the theme of Sodom and Gomorrah was that. That God, if there's a people who are unrepentant, prideful, refusing to acknowledge and know God, and that is how you die in that condition, then that is your eternal state. If you don't want to, don't expect to live in eternity with God when you didn't want to even live your life and look for him now in this life. It doesn't work that way. It's our pride that he keeps us from that. And the thing is that for years, John didn't know this for years, that story of Sodom and Gomorrah was believed to be just a fable. Okay, a lot of ac academics and scholars say, well, everything in the Bible is really allegory, analogy. It wasn't real. This is why that's so important, because if it can make you believe that story wasn't real, there's just a theme to it. It kind of takes a lot out of it. It takes the teeth out of that story. But what's amazing is that over the last hundred years, guys, I'm telling you, I wish we could, I mean, you can just go look stuff up. I'm telling you, it's crazy. Over the last hundred years, biblical archaeology has done so much to confirm every, almost the weirdest details in here. 
confirmed that no, there were the people that are here. Yeah, they were historical. I mean, guys, the Bible that you have, do you know this is an ancient artifact? You are holding an ancient artifact in your hands when you look to and read the Bible. This is what this is. This is like Indiana Jones stuff right here, man. I mean, you are holding an ancient artifact. And discovery after discovery confirms the details here. And if we can confirm if this was real and that person was real, then maybe the God of this Bible is also real. And the story of Sodom is huge. In fact, as a lot of archaeologists are starting to look and they believe that they have found the real Sodom. You want to see the picture? I got it. Let's check it out. Look at this. This is an image uh, we'll put it on the screen for you. This is an image in northern Israel, right above, if you know where the, if you can look up the Dead Sea, this is above there, above the Dead Sea, north of the Dead Sea, close to the va- this big valley there of uh, Circle Valley. And the city of Sodom was one of five cities. And it was in a well-watered place. And remember, the city was destroyed. And so for years, people have trying to be looking for this city. And they've have, you know, they found some that could be options. This right now, they are, this one checks all the boxes. I mean, it is literally one of those you can call like 95. Like all they're missing is a street sign that said, welcome to Sodom. Like that's all they're missing. That is literally all they're missing to confirm this. And so this region, you can see it's like a big, kind of like a, a mountain of dirt with the, the, that valley in the middle. This is called a tell. A tell is a mound where you have cities that were were built upon city and upon city. That was very traditional. You know, we do that even today. We build upon other things. I want you to see, can you see the, an, this outward movement of earth? This, this area, actually, they have discovered massive fortified walls, thick walls that did not collapse inwardly because when people, when conquerors would come in and they would conquer a land, they would knock the walls down inwards. They're noticing that these massive thick walls all fell out, almost if something came down and flattened it from the inside out. Not only in this whole region that you see here, this is a huge area, massive area. All of this, they're finding art, you know, artifacts. They're finding pottery in, uh, buried under not just the, the dirt and stuff. They're finding, okay, you look at me now. They're finding artifacts, pottery, that have thin layers of glass. And not only that, sections of dirt and sand, sections of the desert that have been turned into glass. And further, I mean, there was this one crazy, these massive boulders, three boulders welded together. Rock melted to the point where they were touching and these three boulders wearing tons welded together. And they were showing more and more. It's like what, this kind, what causes this kind of damage is an intense heat that is so hot because for the glass to be very thin, which it was, it requires a burst, a quick burst of intense heat that there was nothing, nothing man-made in ancient times could be able to produce that kind of heat in such a short amount of time and in the kind of size and space. All of those things. And they're showing that this are little details. They're believing it could be that. But then how did it happen? And here's, this is something that's barely 18 months old, guys. Crazy. So much is happening in the world. And we're just sleeping on it. There is a, the, the biggest theory that most people are really grabbing onto is the theory that a meteor came and exploded, burst in midair right above the city. It didn't hit. Can we put that picture again? Look at this picture one more time. You see, not that one. Hold on, you'll see. Okay, yeah, there's a picture here. You can see that there is no crater. 
Because there's uh, when a meteor bursts in midair, it doesn't leave a crater, but it leaves this outward kind of movement, outward form of destruction, and obviously intense levels of, of heat and evidence there. So uh, you can come back to me. Here's the thing. One of the things that uh, the most, the, the meteor, uh, what is it called? Um, a meteor that is burst in midair, the, the one that is the largest in recorded human history, happened 100 years ago in Russia. It happened 100 years ago. And so scientists, as they were studying that, biblical archaeologists and others were noticing, oh, hold on a minute. This blast site looks really similar. In the same way that you see the outward movement, the evidence of a high burst of insane temperatures. Guys, they're saying a me- for a meteor to explode in midair would cause such an explosion and a fireball that it would take multiple upon multiple nuclear weapons to be able to get close to the same kind of damage. Look at how big that is. And so, and so it is looking more and more to see, wow, that is what happened. It must have been a meteor that came down with, like the Bible said, it rained down from heaven. And in one, boom, fire and everything gone. Why is that story important? Why am I saying that? Because here's the thing. We're looking, I was like, yo, if Sodom, Sodom's looking more and more, that was a real place. And it was destroyed in the way that the Bible, it lines up with what the Bible said it was destroyed. Something that was written thousands of years later. And so if it was really destroyed in the way that it was destroyed, that gives us confidence and confirmation that the reason why it was destroyed, pride, is real. God's attitude towards sin is real. And this is how the end, guys, as I'm telling you, we, we read the book of Revelation last year. This is how the end will be. Sudden, when Jesus returns, sudden, quick, boom, new world, new creation. But there's good news, though. I know that kind of sounds like, Why? Why did I invite someone today? I'll tell you. Hold on. Listen. Listen. There's a good part of that story because, listen, do you not remember the story of Lot? It is a story of God's wrath, but it's also a story of God's love. God sent two angels, messengers down to say, you don't. This does not have to be your fate. Lot, if you trust and believe and run to the city, it will be okay. Guys, God didn't send an angel down to warn us. He sent himself in the form of Jesus. Jesus came down to testify to the truth that this is what's happening. Though our culture that is crying out, justice, justice, listen, justice is coming and you don't know and it's not the kind that you think it is. Justice is coming. And Jesus came down to say, if you believe in me, run to, not a city, not a, no, run to the cross. Those who run to the cross, you will be saved. We, were, we could be saved from the wrath of God and saved for the love of God instead. Jesus has come down for us so that we can have that. So that would not be, it doesn't have to be, but it is our pride that refuses to say, no, why must I? No, Lay down that pride because it is in Jesus that we have so much. We have an option to live for now. It is what he has given us. We are called to put down our pride, but I know pride won't go down easy. One quick verse. Let's read this section. Ephesians 4, 17 and 21. I'm going to read it with you guys quickly here. Look at this. Paul, Paul is talking to this church and trying to get them to understand. Listen, if you believed in Christ, you've received him. Listen, remember, keep running that way. Don't play games with this world. Don't play games with the things of this world that is going to be judged and passed away. No, you have something new to live for. He's reminding them and I'm reminding you. Let's read Ephesians. It says, therefore, he says, I say this. I'm testifying to the Lord. 
in the Lord that you shouldn't live, no longer live as the Gentiles do. Gentiles or non-believers, non-Christian believers. Don't live like the non-believers live. Look at this, in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkening in their what? Understanding of truth. They are darkened in their understanding of truth. Excluded from the life of God because of their ignorance. They don't know that it, the, because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. Why? Because of pride. They become callous. We're going to keep reading. They become callous and, can we put the next one up? And gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for what? More and more. This is what was happening with Sodom. This, this is the same thing that it just did. They want more and more, never satisfied. But this is not how you came to know Christ. Living that lifestyle of sin is not what led you to get to know him. That lifestyle of sin wasn't beneficial. No, God saved you despite the way you were living. And he says here, more and more, this is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him, were taught by him as what? The truth is in Look at that. The truth is in Jesus. Take off that former way of life, that old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your look, in the mind, in your understanding, and to put on this new self, the one created according to God's likeliness in righteousness and purity of what? Truth. And where is truth? It's in Jesus. So he's saying, guys, if he has, remember what happened to Lot's wife? Lot's wife was running in the right direction and she turned around and she was impacted and affected. She was too close to the blast site. We don't know why. Maybe it was her, her heart for the city. Maybe it was something about that city. Like, no, maybe, no, this can't be, you know, they're making things up. I'm going to go back home. We don't know why, but she turned. Guys, there are Christians over and over again that we play. God has saved us from it. He delivers us from it. And then we go turn back around and play games with the very thing that God has delivered us from. Why? Like Spurgeon would say, why do we? Why do we, after God has saved us from sin, why do we go play with things that actually killed our best friend? Sin does. That's what sin is. And so what he's trying to get him, them to do is stop being like, like Lot's wife. Stop turning around back into the very world that God has saved you from. It, that didn't help you. That wasn't beneficial towards you. God saved you despite that. Instead, be like Lot. Keep running. Keep going. Walk in the new that God has given you. Let go of that old stuff, that old way of thinking, that old way of believing. That was not helping you. So don't put it back on. Instead, put on the new, which is in Jesus. Put that on. On. Now I want you. Alright, I want you to know that was perfect transition right there. Alright, perfect transition. Here's the thing. This moment, why when you're trying to put off the old, take off the old, put on the new. He is not telling you behavior modification. He's not saying this is all on you to behave better, to do things differently. This is not about behavior modification. Because our world, you know what our world says? Our world says, hey, when it comes to your identity. Your identity needs to be self-discovered and self-achieved. You find the true you and then do everything possible to become that. Transition, act, be, all these things. The world says your identity must be self-discovered and self-achieved. Now, that's not what Paul is saying. Paul is not saying put off the old and the new in the sense of it's all on you. No, because where was it? It's in the truth. It's in your understanding of who Jesus is. And here's the truth, guys. He is not saying, he's not talking about behavior modification. He's talking about redirecting our affections. Redirect your affections. Don't love the very thing that Jesus saved you from. 
Redirect your affections to the one who gave his life for you for love. Redirect your affections to Christ. And he is making you new. That is what we're called to do because our identity cannot be self-discovered. Our identity cannot be self-achieved. True identity in Christ is revealed and received. And that's good news. That's good news for us because it is a hard and weighty thing to be all that everyone says I must be. I have to, in order to be a part of this community, a part of be a part of that, I have to check that this, 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 this. It's hard. And so many who go through these transitions and do this and do that, in the end, why is suicide rate so high? Why is depression so high? Because they are holding on to something like this is the answer. This will make me happy. This will make me fulfilled. And when they get there, they realize it was a lie. It didn't do it. And I'm here to tell you, though, there is something so much more. That is not the answer to your identity crisis. The, the solution to your identity crisis is Christ. It's him. The answer to your identity crisis is Christ. You cannot self-identify with something and be saved. I don't care what you fill in the blank is. I self-identify as blank, 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 blank. Do you see already the problem? Who's the one identifying? Who's the one doing the definitions? I self identify me I defy I decide I'm do you see the pride there the pride I self this is I've discussed this is me uh can I even warn you one more time you can't even be saved if, if you self-identify as a Christian you can't say to Jesus you can't say when you go to heaven oh I self-identify as a Christian so I can get in nope you can't self-identify with someone show no evidence of you can't even self-identify as that because you just can't be that. It is something that God does in us. You, we cannot find the answers in ourselves. Do you guys know as human beings, we depend on the air that is around us. We depend on the food that is around us. You and I are not self-sustaining. We depend on external things. So if we have to depend on the air that is outside and the food that is outside, that means there's a truth that is outside. Not in here. And the world says, no, the truth is who you are. The truth is inside. Look inside. No, it's empty. It's not. The truth is not inside. It is outside. Just the same, same way the air and everything is. The world will say, no, your identity needs to be discovered and achieved. So, and so in order to do that, you need to transition because that's who you're born, right? You're born that way for some identities. They say that's, you're born this way. And you know what they all promise? Liberation and power. You know what they really want? When you hear of all these identities that seek liberation, 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 do you know the kind of liberation they want? Liberation from God. And when they speak of power, they want the power of God. Same thing that the devil has done. He has recruited a lot of people and that should weigh on our hearts. Why do they do these things? Because they want liberation and power. But listen, your identity cannot be uh, discovered or achieved. It is revealed by the truth of God and it is received when we receive that truth. And now I will agree with you and the scriptures agree with you. Yep, you are born this way. You are. Well, I can't help it. I'm born this way. I will agree with you. You're right. You are. So is I. We are all, scripture says, Jesus came to testify the fact that we are all born a kind of way with our minds and our hearts corrupted, with our desires twisted. And yeah, and we're like, well, this is how I feel. This is who I am. You are right. Yes, but you don't need a transition to better be that what's on the inside. No, Jesus says, because you are born this way, you need a transformation. That is why you must be born again. 
Yes, you are born this way. Yes, and that is why I came, because you need to be born again, and you can't do that in your own strength and power. It must be, you must, it must be received. And that is what we do. That is what Jesus came to do. And you know what we get when we receive this? Liberation and power. In Christ, the very thing the devil is saying, hey, you can find liberation and power without God. Doesn't that sound like the devil and Adam and Eve all over again? You can have everything that you need that God offers you without him, without his ways. Forget him. You can, if you leave him alone, you can find liberation and power. No, it is only when we receive Christ that we receive true liberation. That's what Jesus said in John 8, 32. When you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Free from what? Not free from God. No, free from sin, free from hell, free from all the things that that weigh us down and corrupt our soul. When we receive our identity and the truth of Christ, we receive true liberation. Liberation better than anything else. And we receive power. One last verse for 2 Peter 1, 3. Paul says, look at these words. Let me put it on the screen. His divine power. Whose power, guys? God's. It is in his divine power. What is that word? Given. What does that mean? That means we receive it. We can't achieve it. We can't earn it. It is by his divine power given to us. And it gives us everything required for life, for godliness, through the knowledge of what? Him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Do you see this? When we receive the truth of Christ, we receive the liberation and power that the world is dying for, that the world wants, and it's better. The other one is a lie. They're not going to seek, they're not going to find liberation. They're going to find enslavement, and they're not going to receive power. No, they're going to they're be robbed of all of it. But it is only in Christ when our identity is rooted in Christ and who he is that we have, notice, the power to live He gives us the ability to be able to put that old man on its neck. Because yes, guys, you and I and me too, my old man still wants to show up. My old man wakes up awake and ready to already do and be mischievous, all right? When I wake up, my old man's already there. It's about time. Let's get going. No, man. I was like, that's how my old man is ready to go at all times. But because of Christ... I can put that old man down on his neck and say, no, I got something better. I'm going to redirect my, my, my life, my affection to something new, something better. That's in Jesus. And though I might still struggle, though I might even fall and slip back into an old way of thinking, old way of living, I can turn and say, no, thank you because of the blood of Jesus. I'm not a slave to that anymore. I can walk better, move past it. My victory is in Christ. And though I might still have to deal with sin, I am no longer defined by it. I am defined by Christ. His identity is where I get that sense of purpose and community and all of those things. It is all rooted in Christ. And that's why I tell you your identity crisis, the solution to your identity crisis is Christ. When you know who he is, you begin to discover the answers to those three questions you're all asking. Well, who am I? In Christ. Let me tell you who you are in Christ. In Christ, you are the accepted, forgiven, made new, righteous, profoundly loved child of God. That is who you are in Christ. And so where do I fit in in Christ? Let me tell you, in Christ, you are somebody in the body of Christ, a member of God's household and a part of his forever family. You belong in Christ because of what he has done. 
Well, what kind of purpose? Do, do I get a purpose too? Yep, because identity comes with community, it comes with a place, and identity comes with purpose. And so what is my, what kind of difference can I make in Christ? In Christ, you are the lights of the world, the hands and feet of Jesus, ambassadors of hope, and champions of the promises of God that is powerful enough to save souls and change hearts. That is your purpose in Christ, and the world can't offer you anything better. That is what we have. So guys, I want to challenge all of you, no matter where you are, if you're a believer in Christ, then keep running into, stop, don't turn around, play games, and backpedal, moonwalk into the old ways that God has given you. No, run to Christ. Run, keep running to him. And here, I am a messenger, an angel now sending you that message that, listen, if you are in your current condition, in your current place, and if death finds you first, or Christ returns before you do, it will not end well, but it doesn't have to for you. Believe in Jesus. Confess your sins and run to him. Run to him. Now all of us, we should be constantly running towards him and receive this truth that only can be found in him. And when you do, you will experience the liberating power of King Jesus that can only satisfy your soul. He is the answer to the question you did not even know you were asking. And he wants you to know him. It's up to us to choose. And so I want to pray with you guys. I want you to, let's reflect right now. I want you to think online and everybody here this morning. There's, we are all in this mix. I don't care how you self-identify yourself. We're all in the same boat. We all need a savior. We all need to be identified. We all need to be made new and marked by Christ. Jesus, I want to thank you so much that despite, despite our many innumerable sins, Lord, you have made it possible for us to be saved from the wrath, your wrath, God, and instead get to experience your love. God, we thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much that you laid down your life for your enemies, those of us that have acted in pride against you. Running and running our own life like if we were our own lords. God, I thank you so much for the gift of Christ. And I thank you for the truth, God, that the more we get to know your word, the more we get to know your truth, the more we get to walk in that victory that you have given us. Lord, may you help us to put down our pride and to pick up the promises of God. All that you have, all that you have given us and made possible, Jesus, in you, through you, by you. I pray that we may do that right now. As we're praying online and everybody here, if you are a believer in Christ and if you have been convicted, if God is showing you some areas in your life, if he's showing you some areas of pride, and that pride can manifest itself in many ways, that pride can be maybe you playing games with sin, you kind of, ah, well, it's not that bad, and you are redefining sin, you are redef redefining your work. Maybe for some of you, it's, it's your, your pride that's keeping you from letting the truth of God to, in your heart, in your mind, Maybe it's, it's your pride that's keeping you from forgiving somebody. It's your pride that refuses to forgive someone for what they did for you. It's your pride that's refusing to live. Like you want to live for you and only you and, and you don't trust in God and what? No, that, that is pride. We all have it in some capacity. May we put down that pride. That is that old man. 
May you all pray this morning. If that's you and you're a believer in Christ, say, Jesus, help me to put down that pride. Help me, Lord. I pray right now that the Holy Spirit may begin to show you old ways of thinking, old prideful ways of living, old prideful ways of believing. I pray that he may show you online. Everybody right now, that's it right there. If you see it, confess it right now in Jesus' name. Say, God, forgive me for thinking that way. I need to stop thinking. That's the old way. God, thank you that you make it possible that I can think new, that that I can have higher thoughts, that I can, that you can give me the power to forgive, the power to live, the power to love, the power to serve. It's all in you. Repent of those things and then rejoice. Rejoice in what you have in Christ Jesus right now. Just take a minute, church, and worship. We just sang a minute ago, all hail King Jesus. We'll lay down the spoils right now at the feet of King Jesus. Lay it all down at his feet. Honor him. Honor him, not just with your best, but with your worst, and say, God, here it is. Take it all. Thank you, Lord, for who you are and what you've done. And if you are right now, if you're watching online, if you are here this morning and you have, again, I want you to understand that there is no self-identification that can save you. The only kind is when we turn to our Savior and receive him. He's real. And what he has for you is real. And it's really what you want. You just don't realize it yet. And if you believe in it and say, listen, I'm telling you it is. Those who call on the name of Jesus... It doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you become, how far you've transitioned. You can experience transformation in Christ Jesus. That's all you need to do. So I just ask you, turn right now to Christ and just believe in him. Call on his name and say, Lord, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can follow you. Holy Spirit, you're the only one that that, that is leading all of us right now to take those steps. And I thank you for what you are doing. And I thank you, Jesus, God, that we are not alone. And I praise your name like we sang a minute ago, that it is in the name of Jesus, that mighty King Jesus, God, that we that we can be saved, that we could have life all in you. And so right now we want to praise you and thank you. For the promises of God. We thank you for life and the resurrection, Jesus. We thank you that you call us by name. And may we keep running to you, forgetting what was behind, leaving that old man in the dust, and running into the new as you are renewing us each and every day. I pray for that right now. And I pray that your transforming power may turn all hearts. In Jesus' name, I believe that we are seeing and, and there, that shame and regret and fulfill, no, that is being now fulfilled in the love of Jesus. It's in the truth of who he is. Receive it and see. We pray these things in Jesus' mighty name, the name that deserves all praise and glory and honor, King Jesus. Amen. Amen. True liberation and true transformation and true power is found in one place. It's in the name of Jesus. He is the answer to the questions that you don't even know you're asking. Who are you? When you understand who Christ is and believe and receive who Christ is, and you receive him as Lord and Savior, you will receive that sense of identity and community and purpose that only God can fulfill. Now I'll say, you know, the world can attempt to do it, but only God can truly fulfill you. That is what you were wired for. That is what you are made for. 
And when we talk about being, again, that revolutionary, it's revolving our life in the same way that the moon and the earth create revolutions around another entity in the solar system. It's the same thing. You need to find and make God, the truth of who God is, at the center more and more and you revolve your life when you revolve your identity and your community and your purpose on christ that's a game changer right there there is nothing nothing that can compare and there is nothing that god can do really through you it's amazing what he can do through people who do just that that's my prayer for you it's my prayer for me my prayer for my kids and family so let's keep pressing through and i want to challenge you listen walking in the new this is what we're talking about letting go of the old and I know, and I want to challenge you, for some of you, you have made some decisions to follow Christ, and that old side of you is going to rear its ugly head, though those temptations, those feelings, I'm telling you, I want to remind you, you are, you might have to deal with sin, but you are not defined by it. You are defined by Christ. So focus your affections on him, and he will help you when you fall to stand back up on the promises of God and continue to follow through in him.